Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Whether you come this morning aware of your need for help or looking and ready to help other people, whether you come this morning hanging on by a thread after yet another snowy Sunday or back from snowboarding and so grateful to see the white stuff, whether you come this morning filled with doubts about God and maybe even doubts about yourself and your own worthiness, or you come this morning confident in your faith and, and feeling a little proud that you didn't do online shopping this week, whether you come this morning with a tender heart or maybe even a hard heart, we, you are welcome here first by God and also by Fellowship Church. We hope and it is our desire that in this worship hour that you might encounter the risen Christ, that you might even sense a little bit of the joy that comes from having a relationship with Christ. Because in spite of the weather, we believe that this is indeed the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Hear these words from Psalm 91. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Let us stand and sing to the God in whom we trust. Thank you. 
Try again. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. We are in week four in our Lenten journey and through our Lenten devotional. And the theme this week is less worry and more wonder. Psalm 11.3 says, if the fountains, foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Our, wor- our schools, our churches, our economy, our healthcare system, the foundations have been shaken. But we take the words of Psalm 11. God is in the throne. God sees the heart of every situation. And the righteousness will win the day. Today in our prayer, I invite you to join me in the words on the screen. O Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. Come with us to your light. Come with us to your truth. Lord, in this season of Lent, with all that is going on in the world, waiting for the results of medical tests and possible treatments, making the choice on which college to attend, where our next meal is going to come from, being able to afford the next tank of gas, to the conflict in the Ukraine, our tendency is to worry and play out all the scenarios, most often the worst cases. This week, Lord, let us be reminded of what we read in Psalm 11, that you are on the throne, you see the heart of our situations, you are always present, and that righteousness will win the day. Lord, it can be difficult to turn worry into wonder when that worrying can be paralyzing. But let us be reminded that we can lean and trust into you. May we look for the small things that can be reminders of this. A smile or a nod from a person that you pass in the grocery store, a person letting you into traffic, a friend inviting you to come out and play on the playground, or a smile from your newborn, or that spontaneous hug from a family member or friend. Praise to be to God, our sins are forgiven. O Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. Come to us with your light, come to us with your truth. Our God fulfills his promises and is true to his word. We have confessed our sins, God has forgiven us because Christ died for us. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you.
through bell choir. That was awesome. And in case you didn't know, those are not just bell choir people. They are also bell and chime. I just learned that those are chime sticks. Is that right, Christy? And uh, we cheers to God for the bell choir and chime choir uh, for... Uh, sharing with us this morning because that's their last one for the season. I guess they think summer is here or something, but <laughs> they'll be back in the fall to join us. Good morning. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. And one thing that I think that the, I, we've been teasing the weather thing a little bit, and you know, you're playing that hard because, you know, we had first spring, fake spring, and then we had first spring, and now we have winter again, and that's one good thing about the weather is that it reminds us of the season we're in, in the church calendar, and that's Lent. But we are looking forward to Easter, a, 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 a spring time as well, and one of the things that's kind of new this year for our Easter celebration uh, in three short weeks is that we're going to have a sunrise service, uh, and that means that we are going to start our worship service on that morning at 6.45 a.m. Come on, who's an early riser? Let's do it. 6.45, we'll be here to cheer in the sun and also literally the sun uh, on Easter morning. That will be a service of uh, a little bit more elevated uh, safety measures where we're going to ask folks uh, that might be uh, constrained to home uh, to join us and also to have all the people that join us for that sunrise service to wear a mask. Uh, so we especially want to invite you that are uh, worshiping with us online that might uh, be a little hesitant to join, uh, might that be uh, the day that you come uh, and join us uh, for that service uh, with some elevated safety measures. We'll also have, for the other folks, uh, 9 and 10.30 service uh, if you're like me and don't necessarily love to wake up uh, at 5.30 on a Saturday morning. Sunday morning, I'm sorry. Well, if you need a little sunshine on a cloudy day, I, I, I got into the singing thing, even though somebody told me last week that uh, Jess has got a lot of job security after my sermon and I sang a couple of times. If you need a little sunshine on this cloudy day, though, you can come roller skate with us today at 4 o'clock. There's over like 100 people already signed up, and so we're going to have plenty of pizza. So even if you haven't signed up, join us at Roll Escape over there on James Street uh, for a little pizza and also some roller skating this afternoon at 4 o'clock. And uh, if you are a young adult, there's going to be a cool thing on Thursday. I'm not sure if I qualify for that young adult yet. When does, when does the line for young adult end, you know? Are you... It doesn't matter. I don't think I qualify. I hit the fourth decade uh, recently. So uh, the young adults, if you'd like to join in uh, with one another, uh, there's going to be a trivia night at Tulip City Brew Stillery uh, on Thursday at 7 o'clock. That didn't quite make the bulletin, but uh, join in uh, on the fun there at Tulip City Brew Stillery. See, I must not be a young adult if I can't even read the name of the title of the place that they're going. Uh, I'd like to invite the children ages 3 through 8th grade uh, now to go to Sunday school. And uh, as they do, the rest of us might stand and sing uh, as we prepare our hearts uh, to hear God's word this morning. Let's stand and sing.
may be seated. Well, amen and amen. And good morning, church. The Lord be with you. I suspect you may have noticed already this morning that our stage is set up a little differently than it is typically on a Sunday morning. We have before you this morning two mini scenes, if you will. Over on this side, we have a rather comfortable space, including a swoop chair, a footrest, a nice lamp light, and even a coffee table over there. This is uh, homey space, if you will, and it's supposed to represent those of us who enjoy being in the world, sitting still, being personally present, the contemplative types over here. On this side, however, we have a fruit stand, apples, oranges, pears, lemons, grapes, and more. It's fruity, it's harvesty over here, and this side, of course, represents those of us who are the ones that enjoy doing, the active types, busybodies, ones who are goal-driven, get-or-done types over here. I suspect that at some point in your life, you've taken a bit of a personality test of some sort. Perhaps it was Myers-Briggs or DISC or Leadership 360. And if you did, it very likely pinned you into one side or the other, that you are either this or that, a thinker or a doer, an introvert or an extrovert, someone who is interested in relationships or someone who is interested in results, and the list goes on. I understand, as I suspect you do too, that we study these things so that we can understand ourselves and understand each other and perhaps get along with people who are a bit different than we are. The downside, of course, is that it it sort of suggests that you are either this or that, that these things are somehow mutually exclusive. It's missing the power of and, as we've talked about before. Meanwhile, in our text for today, and particularly with Jesus in John chapter 15, we find that both of these mini-scenes, if you will, are presented and they are held together side by side. They are offered to us as an integrated whole, as if they belong together, rather than as if they are to be kept held apart as polar opposites. We know now that Jesus and the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, the dominant figures, if you will, of the New Testament, are some of the world's first and best non-dualistic thinkers. Jesus is presented in the Gospel of John early on as full of grace and truth, and he lives that way. And he is described in the many stories as one who is a friend of saints and of sinners alike. In the letters of the New Testament where the Apostle Paul writes, he offers all kinds more of these kinds of opposites held together, things like faith and works, male and female, flesh and spirit, law and gospel. This is the content of much of his letters. And today in John chapter 15, we have yet another one of these wonderful and pairings. It comes in the way of Jesus describing the good life. And I invite you to hear it now from the book that we love. It's in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, where Jesus is speaking, and he says... I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, 
and every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. So abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I've said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than that you lay down your life for your friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come with me back to the year 2002 at Christmas time, if you will. At that time, a much more fit, younger version of this guy was in hot pursuit of a cute little blonde girl named Rachel, who was well out of his league. For this particular, what should you say, preach it? <laughs> Come on, I'm not supposed to get an amen on that. <laughs> on this particular date night near Christmas time, the plan was that we were going to go out for dinner at Cheddar's in Grand Rapids, and then we were going to go visit the global Christmas trees on display at Meyer Gardens. The night ended with a little treasure chest with a wedding ring hung in, hid in it amidst a bunch of red roses. And shockingly, she said yes, okay? She's been stuck with me ever since. Uh, the wedding would be eight months later in August of 2003. And in preparation for that day, we registered at three different stores, as couples do for their gifts. We registered at Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Tierman's in Holland downtown. Side note, at Tierman's, that was the place where we registered for our fine china. And we got half of it. What do you do with half a set of fine china? We returned it. Yeah. <laughs> not great, not proud of that, but that's what we did. Uh, thank you, Tierman's. And despite our status as cruddy customers to them, they also were still the place that generated a wonderful surprise for us because in registering with them, they registered us for a drawing, a prize, giveaway, and we won. 
a grandfather clock. Come on, just like this one up here is really quite similar to that, the old school kind of clock that keeps time with weights and a big swinging pendulum. The clock really had nothing to do with our wedding or our married life together, except for the fact that we've had to move it now five times. <laughs> and that is not easy, it's delicate, okay? Uh, but this clock has become for me a very vivid demonstration of precisely what Jesus is talking about in our text for today. In John 15, his vision of a good life is a bit like a clock that is swinging back and forth from this to this as an integrated whole tick-tock. And just like a clock, like the grandfather clock we had, uh, is uh, not serving its purpose if it gets stuck over here or stuck over here or even just stopped in the middle and being in neither place. It's missing its kind of purpose for existence. So also it is for us and especially the good life that Jesus is inviting us into in our text for today. You may have noticed in the reading of the text that it actually does fall into two halves, two sides. You're probably dizzy from watching that by now. On the one side is this emphasis on abiding. And I, I, I'm guessing that one of the things you might have noticed uh, in the reading of the text was that that word is said over and over again, 11 times, actually, and mostly all on this side of the text. We are invited to abide. What does that word mean? As Pastor Nate said last week, it is rooted in the meaning of abode, to have a home somewhere. In other translations, the word abide is remain, remain with, or stay. We are to stay with Jesus. When we abide in Christ, we are making our home with him. And when we do that, we are kicking back, a little bit like I am doing right now. We kick back, we relax, we inhale, we rest from all of our work. That's what's going on on this side of the equation I wonder if you noticed when we were studying the Gospel of John together this year that John is writing all the things that he is writing for a very specific purpose. He's telling of all Jesus' signs, seven of them, uh, for a reason. And he's listing off all of Jesus' seven I am statements also for a reason. And the reason is that we would believe, that we would believe and have life in his name. That's how he concludes the Gospel. But this believing is not only so that we can go to heaven when we die. This believing is not only so that we have some kind of cosmic fire insurance that covers our sins. This believing is those things, but it is also quite practically and daily so that we might relax in Jesus, to trust him, to be at home with him, to let him be the Lord of our life. And by all means, we live in a world that has plenty of worries, right? We just prayed about that together. There's plenty to worry about. Huge things like world wars and really close and tender things like our most recent deep hurts. In each of these instances, we are invited to be still and know that the Lord is God. I'm mindful even of Psalm 1 which invites us to say, blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the way of sinners or, or, or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like a tree, like a vine, like a tree 
planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do, they prosper. That's what's going on over here in the abiding side of our life, where we relax and be at home with Jesus, trusting his good lordship over our life. So what does it mean exactly? Let's be specific, because Jesus gives us an answer, and I put it up on the screen for you. I gave you the definition already, but in the text, Jesus gives two very particular ways in which we are to abide. In verse 7, we are to abide in his word. That's what he says, which is to know the book and to live it. And then also, just a little bit later, he says also that we are to abide in his love which again is to be at home with him, to recognize ourselves as loved by him and to trust our belovedness no matter what. That's in fact a really, really good thing. So some of the things you might do if you are abiding with Christ would be study this book or maybe even memorize it, pray, sing, Maybe get outside and take in the grandeur of creation with gratitude to God for all that we have been given in this life. Maybe you do the grace-filled hard work of relinquishing the false self, letting go of the lies that are dominating your life, and you do so in God's presence as you abide with Christ in this place. Maybe in all the ups and downs and the high pressures of life, you simply remind yourself of the deep, deep truths of our Christian faith. So you sit somewhere and remember, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. No matter what that last insult that was dealt towards me or no matter how much I've failed and feel like a failure, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in God's unshakable kingdom. We certainly live in a shaking world. It's shaking all over the place and even deep inside of us. But God's kingdom is unshakable. And here we remember that we live in his unshakable kingdom and therefore we are safe. And then finally, Christ in me transforms my world. Christ in me transforms my world. He makes my life experience day by day different, if at the very least, simply because I am with him. That's what's happening in this abiding place. I'm reminded of the good example uh, from the years 1600-ish where the Quaker movement was getting started and some of the early folks in it were these people named George Fox and William Penn, if you've heard of them maybe. William Penn was a wealthy person, well-educated and uppity-up in society, if you will, and he was a new convert. George Fox was his mentor and uh, so he would look to him for advice. Well, one of the things that William Penn did was he carried around a sword. It was what you did in that day as a symbol, not only of your status in society, but it was also a symbol of war. And so there came a time where William Penn went to his mentor, George Fox, and said, should I continue to wear this sword as I am a follower of Christ? You might expect George Fox to give a very clear answer saying, ah, Go ahead. Doesn't matter. It's all grace anyways. Or maybe he would say, no, you absolutely cannot wear it. You must stop now. It says so in the good book or something like that. That's not what he said. He said instead, wear it as long as you can. The mentor helps his mentee to abide in Christ, to sit with Jesus, make your home with him, relax in him, and then simply do as he leads. So wear it as long as you can. And he did. He wore it for a while, and then eventually he didn't. 
Now, I'm really comfortable over here. <laughs> and it'd be really tempting to only stay here. And it's important to remember that that is a real temptation for us in life, to abide, abide, and abide, and always keep abiding and never actually swing back over there to bear fruit. That would be a problem for us, actually. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this text. And since it's March Madness, maybe it's a good uh, uh, illustration to mention sports. Imagine one of our great basketball teams playing even today, preparing and preparing for a great game out on the court. They practice away, and then they arrive, and they plan their plans to execute. And right before the game starts, they call a timeout. They plan another plan. They huddle up and encourage one another. They decide exactly what they're going to do out there on the court. And then they step forward. And just before they inbound the ball, they call another timeout. And they never actually get in the game and do something. It can be that way for us sometimes in the church or as Christians too. We're so tempted to abide, and that's good, but to abide always and never bear fruit is in fact a problem. Like a team that would plan forever to play a game and never actually get out on the court and do it. We are supposed to swing, as Jesus says. With the clock, we move back over to this side. And here, of course, the invitation is to bear fruit. If over there we are invited to rest, over here we are invited to work. If that's kicking back, this is kicking in. If that is inhaling, this is exhaling. That's abiding. This is bearing fruit. And of course, we bear fruit according to our kind. This is all real fruit, by the way, and you're invited to come get a piece when the service is done. Uh, it's meant for eating. But as Jesus teaches in the Bible, we bear fruit according to our kind. So an apple tree produces apples, an orange tree produces oranges. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Good trees cannot produce bad fruit. And those who are living branches that are on the vine are ones that also bear fruit. It's just the natural order of things. It's a great scene from the movie Willy Wonka that I want you to hear. I think it's quite memorable. Oh. Wait a minute. I must show you this. Lickable wallpaper for nursery walls. Lick an orange. It tastes like an orange. Lick a pineapple. It tastes like a pineapple. Go ahead. Try it. Mmm, oh. I got a plum. Grandpa, this banana's fantastic. It tastes so real. Try some more. The strawberries taste like strawberries. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Snozberries? Who ever heard of a snozberry? We <laughs> are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. Such a weird saying at the end there. But I think he's hinting at something like we are to be the kind that we are. We are to be snozberries that taste like snozberries, ones who are on the vine and who produce the natural fruit. This is where we simply be who we are in the world, bearing good fruit. What exactly does that look like? I, of course, I put that on a slide for you here again. It is, first of all, to receive good from God, which comes from on over this side, and then to go and use that good for some good in the world. And Jesus is, again, very specific about this in the text. He gives two clear instructions. One is to love as I have loved. That is certainly a fruit-bearing act, to love as he has loved us. So love one another. And then second, it is to go as I have gone, which is to essentially have a heart for the world. Remember, Jesus is the one who took on flesh for us and for our salvation. And so we, to be like him, would be ones who would also go 
and have a heart for the world. In our fruit-bearing life, there's a variety of ways that we might do this that would include knowing your gifts and using them. They're listed for us in the New Testament, leadership, hospitality, giving, whatever it is, to do those things in accordance with the kind and to do it for the good of others. To be a fruit-bearing person in the world would be one to identify the problems that exist out there. There's no shortage of them and to simply be a part of the solution somehow. To be a fruit-bearing person in the world would be a person who puts on the fruit of the Spirit as we abide on the vine and perhaps to be a person of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, maybe even especially in those places where it's least expected like an airport or like when you're turning in your taxes or something like that, but everywhere, always. That's what it's like to do this. In the Heidelberg Catechism, when the question is asked, what exactly is a good work or what exactly is a good fruit? The answer comes through that it's three things, basically. It is the stuff that happens from us based on true faith in Jesus. It is in accordance with God's word and it is done for God's glory. That's what's going on on this particular side of the equation. I love the example of Bob Goff. Maybe you've heard his name before. He's a really happy guy. His books have balloons on them, and they're called things like Love Does or Everybody Always. And in this particular book, he tells the story about how he and his buddies, instead of having a Bible study, he says, my friends and I meet every Friday morning to have a Bible doing we read the things that Jesus taught, and then we go out and put them into action in our day-to-day -day life. We try to do the big things that Jesus talked about, and the small ones too. And every time we do the things that Jesus talked about, instead of just talking about them, something changes inside of us. That's a bit of a fruit-bearing side of the equation. But again, like over there, we're not intended to get stuck over here. It is possible to become a workaholic and even to try to be a person who's somehow producing fruit by our own strength without abiding on the vine. That is not what it's like. In fact, try this. Exhale. I'll do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You can't, right? You can't just keep exhaling unless you actually inhale. Like the clock, we are intending to tick-tock back and forth. It's the rhythm of the good life as Jesus presents it for us. So if the question over here is, where's your chair? Where's your place that you go and spend time with God where you abide? The question over here is, what's your fruit? What's your fruit? Now, I suspect there's a chance that some of you are thinking, boy, I heard today a pretty common sermon that I've heard over and over and over again, the kind that simply says that you might summarize at brunch by saying, yep, I'm supposed to go and do my devotions and I'm supposed to go and serve somewhere. And it sounds really drudgery and guilt-producing, right? I've even heard sermons summarized. This is tongue-in-cheek and really cruel. Hopefully it's not true, but they've said that every sermon everywhere is basically, God is good, you are bad, try harder. <laughs> Ugh, right? <laughs> Hopefully this is not that, and in fact, I know it's not that, and I want to show you precisely where that so, says so in our text. Some years ago, uh, one of the most famous TED Talks of all time was put out by Simon Sinek, and it was called Start With Why. 
I think it's number three on the list. His argument is that the most important question for us to ask is why, and we should ask it first and often. He suggests that in most endeavors in life, in school, in church, in business, in medicine, it's really easy to get lost in the weeds asking the detail questions of what and when and how. But the real question, the important one to ask first, is why? In John 15, we know what the what is. The what is to abide in Christ and to bear fruit in the world. That's the what. But what's the why? Jesus actually doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us quite plainly and interestingly, right smack in the middle of the text, right where that pendulum would be swinging, verse 11, Jesus says clearly, I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. The why is joy. All of this is all for joy. His joy and your joy and a kind of complete joy altogether. I heard even this week of a person who is a lifelong Christian saying they never noticed that this text is actually centered in joy. But that's what the why is. The reason we are to abide and bear fruit is not to perform our Christian duty or to earn God's favor. It's certainly not about results as if we are to somehow outperform the next Christian in the pew down the row from you. And if all of this up here, this pendulum swinging back and forth, ultimately only makes you more grumpy, then it's quite possible, almost certain, that you're still missing it entirely. The why is joy. His joy and our joy. And joy is a real feeling. It's like happiness or delight, except it's even better because it's deeper and stronger and less circumstantial. It is joy. Eyes lit up with delight because life is deeply and lastingly good. That's what it's about. And so this could and may very well be your absolute favorite place to be in the world. This might very well be your absolute favorite thing to do in the world. That's this rhythm that Jesus is talking about. It is the rhythm of the good life. Tick, tock. Tick, tock. Inhale, exhale. Be at home with Jesus and have a heart for the world. That's the invitation that we are given by Jesus in this text. Let it be so for all of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. invite you to stand and sing with us as we respond this song it, it might be familiar to you um, if not you're you're welcome either way to sing along or uh, to just listen but I think that you'll find that the chorus in particular is easy to sing with
one another as we sing a benediction this time this side the right side of the sanctuary join with me sing the words with me and this side join with Bob and Barb and Steve and we'll echo to each other antiphonal that's the word Barb shared with us this week <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and take a piece of fruit with you. <laughs>